Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Overlap. I'm, of course, joined by Rian, and we have a micless recording this week for me, once again. Um, once again, traveling, um, but I managed to remember the important things. The computer, the headphones, that's it. I did not remember the microphone. Um, <laughs> I, I need to also figure out like a, a proper input for that when I'm, I'm traveling anyway, but that aside... Um, we are here and we are talking everything that happened over the last couple of days in England and Spain. Um, I said this, I think, last week around when we recorded, but I gave your team a shot this past weekend and they did, in fact, have a shot. Um, they had more than a shot, to be honest. Uh, they had a couple, but we'll get to all that in a little <laughs> bit. Um, gosh, what else happened? My team brought on an unknown teenager to try and win a game, which seemingly is the the theme this year with all the injuries. And um, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff to go around. There's a lot of good stuff to go around uh, from, from this past weekend. But before we get into the footballing stuff, how was your weekend? What did you even do this weekend? Um, main highlight was seeing uh, the new Martin Scorsese film on Friday. Oh, how was it? It was, uh, yeah, it was good. It was very good. Um, very, like... Yeah, as most Scorsese films, like three and a half hours. Um, of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, but no, it was really good. It was really good. The the woman that plays, um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting the name of the like main female lead character. Honestly, I forget the name of Leo DiCaprio, Leo DiCaprio's uh, character too. <laughs> but <laughs> the yeah, main. Yeah, yeah, no. I, it's just blank. I'm just blanking on it right now, obviously. Of course, because, of course. <laughs> yeah, like naturally when I actually want to talk about it, like yeah, I'm blanking on the name. But um, it, it was, she was fantastic and I expect her to get some Oscar noms or at least one Oscar nom and a bunch of other probably nominations during award season. Nice. Um, but all in all, just like a great, another, another great Scorsese film. Love it. Love it. Well... I uh, I do actually want to see it. I feel like I've seen a hundred ads for it. So the marketing budget for that film must be stacked, but I did not even know it was out. To be honest, I truly did not. Um, <laughs> the marketing was I, so I, great I, then, I guess. I know, I know, right? Yeah, ironically. Um, but I, I'm so behind on movies. I have not seen Barbie. I've not seen Oppenheimer. I haven't even seen Cocaine Bear. Like I'm so far just <laughs> That was pretty niche. That was already on like I think I that know. was already on one of the streaming services at this point. It has to be. It has to be. But I should I should watch it for my own pop culture sake because I'm so behind. Um maybe I'll start from yeah. the now and then work my way back and start with the Scorsese film. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You like um, that, that's one. That, really cool. Like obviously I guess similar to Oppenheimer, like a really cool historic piece. But uh Obviously, even less than Oppenheimer, something stuff that was not taught to us at all growing up. <laughs> like, of course, um, <laughs> of course. yeah, yeah, it, it's 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 pretty terrible. <laughs> and, uh, also, a very similar similar theme for Scorsese films, just like truly terrible people. He has, a, really he has a way of writing at, evil. Yeah, in a, in a really interesting way that makes you kind of think, like that makes you have some sort of sympathy. For that, in one way or another, like it's it's uh it's honestly, I guess, what makes him so good. Well, he asked that famous line, you know, "Are we the baddies?" 
<laughs> yeah, 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 genuinely, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, that's a very poignant thing uh, in, this, <laughs> in, this, in that film, I'll just say that. Oh, God. Okay, well, I do have to see it. Um, a team, Rian, that was we shift focus, I'm going to try and make this transition here. A team that was not bad <laughs> over the past weekend, outside of probably the last 20 minutes. Um, let's talk about the game of the weekend. Chelsea-Arsenal, a 2-2 draw. A team... Y'all were 2-0 up. Y'all y'all had this game by the grasp of your hands. Like, it was right there. Um, look, nothing to take away from Chelsea. A phenomenal performance, in my opinion. I think probably, would you argue it was one of their best games of the season? Yeah, it's like right, right up there with... Um... The first game of the season against Liverpool, really. Yeah. Um, I, I I put it on that same pedestal. Like, I realized that yes, Chelsea had an actual like lead in this game and and could have <laughs> and and could have honestly could have won. Like, still won two 0 That like like you know it, things were okay up and were pretty fine up until that point. But um, but I did put it up there on the same pedestal as the Liverpool game. I, which I also thought Chelsea was really good in, but um, this team's like a more settled side than that one. So maybe that makes it a little bit more, I don't know. I don't know if that makes it more impressive or, or not, but to answer your question, it's around the Liverpool game. I think those are the two yeah. best. Yeah, and you make a, bring up a good point about being a settled side, right? Now we've talked about a Mauricio Pochettino team uh, that's had about two months, right, to figure out tinker with what the best 11 actually is of course rotating rotating through a couple of injuries um but at the same time i feel like one of the standout players for me in this game was connor gallagher and i i would also through throw fundamentally believe that both of those players have started to really impose themselves as not just obviously starters but certainly as goal scoring threats and i'm sure that you have all the stats in the world to back this up. I'm going off the eye test, uh, or as I personally like to call it, vibes. Um, when it comes to, to England, Spain's a little different for me. Don't, don't but, play down the eye test. Don't play down the eye test. That that no, part is true. very. That part is is still argue, it's not arguably <laughs> the most important one. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But tell so walk me through who you really thought stand out for. Um, for Chelsea in this game against Arsenal, and then we'll get to the Arsenal piece. Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with with Connor Gallagher there. With his uh, like defensive performance in this game was kind of what was like a catalyst of I think how good the entire team's performance was, like specifically from the defensive side, holding Arsenal to some of like their season lows in terms of expected goals created um, touches in the penalty area and then just amount of passes they completed within 20 yards of the goal again, very uniquely him um, in the sense that a midfielder who has a lot of like attacking abilities and I'd say like attacking uh, a pretty big attacking mindset. Um, but he's really kind of turned into a player that 
is a really good box to box player and has become better and better at his passing. Like his pass completion is almost 90% this season when, you know, two years ago he was at 75% pass completion. Like it's, it's a really, he's become a really interesting player because he's gotten better at passing. Um, He's the 83rd percentile in terms of carries into the final third this season. So, you know, he brings a lot of that like um, ball progression forward while at the same time, he's like this absolute, just like probably he must be one of the most annoying players to play against like in the <laughs> league in terms of how much he just really hassles you. Um, and, you know, in that sense, he's kind of perfect for a Pochettino coach team, right? A team that Pochettino coach teams that love to press really high, win the ball back really fast, and then... Um, transition when they can and in, in general just a team that <laughs> generally have a lot of energy and are expected to run a lot um he shows he's he's probably the best in the team at that at those qualities like he's um 94th percentile in the league for tackles and interceptions and then 88th percentile um in ball recoveries um and these are all like against other midfielders so <laughs> it's it's so he's so weirdly unique like um I looked into because when I saw like the tackles and interception numbers and then the the ball recoveries, I went back and looked at a, at a the last couple like good Ingolo Conte seasons. So com- basically, not last season. Oh, that's really um, yeah, yeah. And man, between those two seasons and this is the season ending in twenty twenty two and the season ending in twenty twenty one. Gallagher's numbers are like in between those two, especially in terms of like the tackles and interceptions. <laughs> like he has, he has average, he averages more of those per game than um, Conte's, I, I want to say it's the 2022 season um, or end, like 2022 ending season. But um, I think, it's, but then he's less than in the 2021 ending season. And it's a similar thing, like the ball recoveries and the pass completion too. So it, he's kind of become uh, this guy who has shown like the attacking ability obviously in his past in his past couple loans and then um you know in in some games last season um not so much this season because he just plays deeper but uh he's shown that attacking ability but also the obvious like <laughs> like the mini N'Golo Conte like defensive qualities are I think what makes him pretty much indispensable to um uh Pochettino's starting eleven now. I'm, this I'm is after really like, glad. A summer Go ahead. of being almost and feel like a sorry, sorry to interrupt. Like, no, no, this no, is no, after no. the summer being of like fifty fifty whether he'd be on the team anymore or not. Like, <laughs> there was like a pretty good chance he could have gotten sold over the summer. So yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll end up with that. Like, yeah, him and along with fifty percent of the other the uh, fifty percent of the team, but. um I'm actually really glad you made the N'Golo Conte uh, connection because I was in my head thinking back to Spurs Ajax 2019. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, who was the most highly pressing midfielder in that game? Because that was the game that Pochettino, I mean, quite frankly, they didn't really have too much of the ball. They have an overwhelming number of chances. But when they did win the ball back, counterattack to the like nth degree, right? And 
in order to get the ball back, you need players like 21, 22 and Golo Kante. And I love that comparison because in my head, I was basically trying to think of which midfielder compared the most to Connor Gallagher uh, in a Pochettino system. And Golo Kante's or name just didn't pop up because he didn't play under Pochettino. Um, but that is a wonderful comparison. And I think there, there are a lot of similarities. I, I'd be curious if you think there is a slight misbalance or unbalancing between um, someone, or I guess a midfield of Connor Gallagher and Enzo and, um, oh my gosh, who Chelsea just bought him from Brighton. Caicedo. <laughs> Caicedo, thank you. Um, if, if you think there's a slight misbalance there um, b- between those three. I think, like, the only thing that you're going to feel like you're missing there is maybe a bit of, like, final third chance creation, um, which, right. in theory, like, ends like I mean, Enzo did flash this a lot last season, um, in the second half of last season, and obviously he flashed it a lot with Argentina and with Benfica as well but Correct. <laughs> um he, he he can he can be the one that gives you that um the that creativity from like closer to the penalty box whereas um Gallagher you he'd probably be more effective like actually in the box and when the, the ball getting to his feet um so I do think that maybe that's the one slight imbalance like maybe you're not going to quite get um as much creativity from that three, like in the final third. But again, for Pochettino coach side, one that is more reliant on energy. And um, as I was saying earlier, like winning the ball back very high, which is, which is kind of like the difference in, I think like the, the difference in like the actual eye test of when you watch Gallagher versus uh, N'Golo Kante is that although like these numbers are very similar where it's being done, where these um, like ball recoveries and, you know, tackles and interceptions are happening are in two very different parts of the pitch, right? Like Gallagher is doing a lot higher up the pitch and that's what makes him more valuable to um, more valuable to Mercio Pochettino than maybe anyone else who would could play in like that 10 role. Yeah, um, on Chelsea right now. Definitely. No, it's a super good point. Super good point. You know, we, we've talked a lot about Chelsea. I want to move on to Arsenal in a second. I just want to highlight the real tests for Chelsea, I think, are upcoming. And I highlighted this a couple of weeks ago, but Arsenal obviously is out of the way. I think they did pass that test. I think we would both look at that game and say we passed, you know, they passed the test of being able to compete with Arsenal, which I think is probably if you're a Chelsea fan, probably what you would ask of. I think a win would have been a very nice surprise, but I don't think it would have been something that you would have walked away and said, this is an absolute must. But outside of Brentford, who they play uh, at the weekend, in the Premier League, they play Spurs, which will be very difficult. They play City, obviously very difficult. They play Newcastle, once again, difficult. And then Brighton and United. That is That is their string of five games, basically from November through December. Um, and I think that's kind of a a very big test of what can Chelsea do um, from a from a standpoint of I think let's forget about the Champions League, but in terms of taking away points from your contenders, this is the exact kind of I guess phase of the season where you have to be able to do that in order to push for 
dare I say the Europa League like that that's kind of where I think Chelsea would probably want to aim for at this point but correct me if I'm wrong that, that would be my only comment um before we move no on. I, th- I think that's I think that's more than fair <laughs> I think I, I, yeah. I think you kind of look at the top eight or nine teams in the league this season and especially because of what we saw from Chelsea with a lot with to be fair a lot of these same players last season um all other noise like obviously you know aside for right now but like did not look like a team that could be like even one of the six or seven best teams last season um I I think like with the age of the squad and you know transition a lot of moving parts that are happening for most of this season especially with like the injuries and guys coming back and and out at some point again probably um i think that like six to eight range um is probably like the target and and i think i think you'd be i think it wouldn't be very realistic or no i'm not gonna say that it wouldn't be very uh <laughs> it would be pretty optimistic to hope for more than there to, to think that better than six is gonna is like is like likely, I guess. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Well, I, I do want to shift focus, like I said, to, to Arsenal because you mentioned this and I thought that was really interesting. This was one of the lowest XG performances for Arsenal this season. Um, one of the lowest per touches um, in the opposition penalty box um, games. I, I, my grammar today is very off. I've had a very long day. Um, <laughs> I know. I know what you mean. Don't but, worry. But, but, even again, based on the eye test, the number of attacks that Arsenal generated were either broken up. It felt like a, a good portion of the time, or if they they did actually come to fruition, a they were later on in the match when things were well, Chelsea were effectively pinned back, and Arsenal had no choice but to take more risks um, in terms of uh, pushing numbers forward, but. Were you concerned at all with this Arsenal performance in especially that first 60 minutes of the game? Because I I felt like they were struggling to find space. And I actually would probably give Chelsea a lot of credit for this because as we know, and as I mistakenly pointed out um, a couple weeks ago, Chelsea have been relatively solid defensively. It's just been their attacking output that's struggled. Not not even like their attacking buildup and progression. It's just been purely the output. Um but defensively, Chelsea have been strong, so I have to give them credit for that. I'm just curious if you're concerned about Arsenal based off of this performance and, well, I'd say maybe the last two performances. Yeah, I I, th- I think they're still – I just – I still think they're trying to figure out who the third midfielder is going to be in that in that team. Um, that that makes it's all of us. It's not going to be George. Yeah, true. It, it's, I just don't see it being George. You know, it, it was difficult for him. Like, pretty simply, it was difficult for him. Like Chelsea's entire team, Chelsea's team is full of people born in two thousands. Like it, it's it's pretty <laughs> tough. Pretty tough for it. Yeah. Like pretty tough for George to to deal with that um, at this point in his career and and. Chelsea looked very dangerous on transition. Or... Yeah, I guess got to pick. Um, <laughs> so I, 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 I do think it's that is the one thing that seems like it's holding them back from being a better team than they were last season. Um, 
I, I, I obviously a big part of this too is even though I, I do think that I think that Tomiyasu is a good player anyway, but like not having Timbers is obviously something that they miss. But I do I think it's like the third midfielder in that team is what is the biggest question mark, and I feel like that's holding them back from being better than they were last season because Teclan Rice is obviously an improvement on. <laughs> pick between Partey or Jaka. (laughs) But but, um, that that goes without saying, but I guess their only real choice right now, you would think, you would think when Partey is healthy, um, you would think it would be him, right? Between Declan Rice, would you throw Martin Odegaard in a fully central midfield role? I don't know. Um, probably not. I mean, he, but... he plays like one of the eights, pretty much. And like, it, but it, it let, let's call it like an, an eight and a half trending up. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, yeah. It just basically, um, yeah, it's pretty much both. I I don't have a perfect answer for you, but I guess my question there is: if you're Mikel Arteta, do you? This might sound like a risky question. Um, I'm almost hesitant to ask it. Do you think that's as much of a concern? And and just hear me out for a second. While you do have wonderful creative midfielders, uh, or midfielder at least in Martin Odegaard and, and certainly somewhat in uh, Declan Rice, Declan Rice does an incredible job providing cover as a defensive midfielder, right? And Martin Odegaard does an incredible job of ball progression and chance creation. What I feel like Arsenal have been struggling with is not necessarily shot creating actions or anything like that, but it is kind of being outnumbered in that midfield. And I guess part of my thinking is, do you go with a, a system that is more three at the back? That, that that would potentially be my question, and allow Martin Odegaard to play in a more compressed midfield. So you're you're narrowing the field, even though I don't I don't think that necessarily benefits their wingers. You're narrowing the field to make the 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 area of play a little bit basically. Uh, <laughs> you're making it smaller on purpose. That's effectively what you're doing to kind of reduce the 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 numbers game that you're outdone by in midfield and allowing um, a third or a fourth player from your defensive back line to, to effectively kind of play like that Zinchenko-esque role, but like all the time that something like that is what I'm thinking of. Um, again, my words tonight are not good. But no, no, <laughs> no, 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 that, that all made of. sense. No, that, that all made sense. I, I was, I was, <laughs> excuse my like blank look for, it was no, really me, like trying to think of trying to think about, like as you're talking about trying to think about who fits into those roles. Really, I'm not. Um, I, so, <laughs> I'm not saying they have anyone that does fit into that. What I'm thinking mm-hmm. about is like, is that I know. The I think they do have. Goes. I I agree. I think they do have players who can play those roles. Like it's. Um, I think the risks that come with the players that can play those roles, like you know, like. You said uh, like Zinchenko could come in, right. and he could effectively be part of like the uh, two players in front of the back three who who would get the ball. Like a lot of teams like right. build up in like a three two or two three now. So 
um they, they he could be one of those players the drawback that comes with that and then and and you've seen it in a lot of like the big games right is defensively he's just not like he's not philip long <laughs> effectively like like that's the tough thing like like no one's philip long like that like no that's why is, right. that's why there's like really that's that's why every other player that tries to do this like there is huge risk on one side mm. or the other right yeah so um but but like you know Zinchenko is one of those players um he's he's also not like to bring it down to a much lower level um but still a pretty high level yeah that's exactly that, the comparison i was thinking of that's what makes it diff that's what makes it difficult and like sure you could have tomiyasu do this too but he's not as good of a passer as zinchenko or john stones either <laughs> and, and so um i think that arsenal you could do it like like it, I, I i think it's feasible and i think it um they could do it and it'll probably work in like 60% of the games. Um, but <laughs> that might not be enough to, to win the title. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we go back to what we talked about the, the, before the season started, like realistically thinking about how can Arsenal improve on last season and, and get, and, and, you know, win the league, like they have to be better than last season. Like not just, not they get not just like the same level like or city has to get very bad <laughs> like, like that's the two levels like like, like not very bad, but city has to drop off by like 40 percent or something like that yeah. <laughs> like, like that's yeah. it's it's one Which one of those happening. two or, or combination obviously but, but yeah, yeah yeah we haven't quite seen that from city even though they're not as we'll talk about it later they're not quite as scary attacking wise no, but we'll, I guess to wrap up this point, then we'll move on to to Spurs to answer the question of should we be concerned about Arsenal based off this performance? I feel like the answer is no, but with the asterisks that the right. same problems that have persisted prior to this game still exist. Like this game did not solve any of those issues in and around um, their midfield lack of options uh, effectively. And that will... It's going to continue through January until, uh, unless, you know, we get our UEFA coaching licenses, hit up Mikel Arteta and give him this advice that somehow obviously, makes him yeah. the Premier League, which, uh, yeah, which obviously is going to be the case. So, um, um, yeah, with that yeah. being said. Yeah. It's still the best. It's still, <laughs> yeah, like, like, it's a lot to end this. Like, this is this still does, I think, uh, the second best team in the league by a, a decent margin. Um, well, so. that that was actually funny enough of what I was about to ask you next in, in talking about Spurs. Look, North London Derby has already come and gone for the first half of the season. It was a draw. You can take from that what you will. But I do want to talk about Spurs because I think we both have been pressed with them this season. I still, look, I maintain, we'll mention this later about Liverpool. I still maintain Liverpool are my like personal dark horse favorites for the league right now. Um, but... Spurs again winning on a Monday night against Fulham. They are creating so many shot creating actions that Richarlison has to score at some point, right? Like, like that has to happen <laughs> in in the near future. But like, I, all jokes I aside, he's, he's got um, two. He's got two they, this season, I think. Yeah, 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 I know. Let's let's. I want to berate the meme. I get what you mean. My point, okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, point point being, like, I'm I'm impressed with Spurs. Like, I don't know what else to say. Is that they are a progressive mm -hmm. attacking team now, and you can run through the stats, which I know you will. 
I was I was just about to ask how impressive. Like, well, ironically, that was going to be my question to you is not necessarily how impressive, but <laughs> yeah. but more so what what has changed for them to become so impressive? Um, because for me, I feel like the biggest change has truly just been James Madison. Like, I I don't see. I mean, there are obviously like structural changes that were made, but. In terms of personnel and profile, James Madison is the spur the player that Spurs needed or the profile that they needed to become a progressive team. And you're seeing that in the statistical output is kind of what I'm getting at. What I think he provides to this team is the ability to make runs in behind, both in and or on and off the ball. And Spurs, I think, had at any given point over the last like two to three years a player that would do one or the other. It was never both. And the reason why I think you're seeing such a good combination with, with Sun is Madison is willing to basically commit himself to the attack while recognizing that there's going to be a defensive gap, but it's not like he's forgetting about defensive duties at all. Like they've, they've been okay defensively, but I would attribute that more so to or I would attribute counterattacks against them more so towards their center not center back pairings but just more just defensive general personnel and some some quabbles and mishaps here and there <laughs> versus it being a a structural issue with the with their midfield so that that was kind of just my interpretation of Spurs over the last month or so um to recap James Madison big plus Relationship with Hungman's son, big plus as a result of the way or the profile that James Madison is. And um, yeah, let's not forget that this this team still has pretty, pretty good uh, attackers, even though Harry Kane's gone. Yeah, no, they uh, definitely. I think Madison is probably like the closest replacement or closest level or type of player they've had since Christian Erickson. Yeah. Called it. And they have missed, they have missed that type of player. Right. Um, I think, I think among the, the other, like just big changes in how they play. Like I, I think the fullbacks like destiny Udogi like, has been like just ridiculously good this season and, and has played um, very, very far forward and very like um narrow right and is he's been really good in that role i think poro's done well in that role too um on the right side and so you know, even when you see madison dropping like he and he and he does this a lot too like he, he'll drop back to pick up the ball from the center backs like and then he's the guy who plays that first pass between the lines through to like Adogi or Poro or or um, Son if he's like dropping in a bit, um, but he's doing like a lot of the line breaking passes from like midfield himself, um, while also as you said like getting forward and I think it's in that first goal they scored against Fulham like he press he he is one of the furthest pressing um, furthest forward guys pressing to win the ball um, and that's how they end up scoring the first goal and the second goal is very similar where they win it like 30 something yards away from goal and end up scoring. Um, 
but yeah, he he's contributed to like how good this attack is, right? Like they're leading the league in terms of shots per game. They're fourth in goals. Um, they've had the most touches in the penalty area per game and um, and the most progressive passes in the league. So again, we've talked about it before. They're night and day in attack um, from against the last like two, three, two seasons at least. Um, I, I I will disagree with you on the defensive side. I, I actually think their center backs have been really good this season. I, I think that Van Devens no, no, no. really I, I, I good. Think they have. Let me, let me clarify what I meant because I, I think what I was going for are there have been moments for the, uh, maybe I'm just specifically thinking of Christian Romero, but there have been moments for their defense where I've, like I kind of look at one-off tackles or just decision making that I'm like, why did you do that? Like, just like why? Like, yeah, what that happened. Yeah, with Romero, but that that, that gonna happen time, time for yeah. sure. That's what um, I generally meant. But I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think they've still only allowed the second fewest goals. To be fair to them, um, they're seventh in expected goals allowed and kind of the difference between goals allowed and and expected goals allowed for them i think it's like almost i think they've allowed almost four goals less than their expected <laughs> goals um allowed so that's that's the highest in the league so they've gotten a bit lucky too and, and you got to give them some some credit to um vicario who's come in and played pretty well has been an upgrade over hugo loris honestly in the last um versus his last couple oh, seasons yeah. um uh, then the other side of it too is like they I do think that the reason that they're not maybe like in that top five or top top four top three in terms of like chances allowed with the expected goals um is like a bit more structural like they do get though the way they play because they are so committed to the attack like and because they're they're uh fullbacks end up like in the final third and around the penalty box like you're gonna give up a bit like more transitions and and i think like fulham did get some good transitions and you know didn't make much out of them but uh i do think like that's it's a bit more down to like their i do think it's more structural definitely definitely well i'm glad that we kind of see spurs the same way I, i guess my final question for them before we move on is do you do you feel like this is a team that has greater than a 50% chance of finishing in the top four right now? Because I struggle to think of teams right now. And again, my marker, by the way, of progress is January, um, like onwards. But things can so rapidly change, as we know. Do you feel like this is a Champions League level team that can potentially finish in the top four? Yeah, I I think this I think they can finish in the top four. I think mostly because they've gotten like they've gotten the results like so far and like put the points on the board. Like there's kind of this thing we see every season where like you can have very good performance. Like your underlying metrics can be quite good, but if you don't actually like pick up the points and like enough of the games then it, it sounds very simple but like then you're just you're not gonna finish i guess to the level that like your performances expect right so for tottenham 
even in games where they haven't been great, like they've gotten a result or three points from them, right? So whereas like some other teams, and yeah, I am I am kind of talking about Chelsea, like <laughs> but who <laughs> probably have played to like that level, like top four, top five level. The kind of like math of it all of not getting the points in those in like so many of those games, like could be the the difference like you maybe you think that it'll all normalize over the season that's always like the most likely thing to bet on but i do think that tottenham have gotten enough wins and actually and points to feel like like they have a good chance of finishing in that top five um and it might and we've talked about it before like the fifth place might get the team into the champions league because of the um coefficient rule change for yeah, for yeah. I I agree with you that I do think they have a, a good chance but my argument I guess is a little bit different well, it's somewhat similar but I'll, I guess that's an addition in that even in the games where they do not play well they still do manage to find three points um, at, or at least one point and the addition to this that I would I would point out is they're doing it as well against teams that are going to compete for the same spot. So if you think about Arsenal, maybe, right? Effectively a top four spot or top five spot. Arsenal, yes. Uh, you think about Liverpool, who they beat, yes. Um, I don't know what this thumbs up thing just was. If you <laughs> saw that. I, I have no idea how that happened. But um, <laughs> if you do this, maybe it comes back. I, I don't know. Anyway, um, point being they have beaten teams that will likely be around them and they need to continue to do that through, of course, the rest of the, the season, as well as <laughs> your crystal palaces as they have come up, coming up this weekend, right? You, but you most importantly need to meet, beat the teams around you and that's what they're doing. And that's where I think they will kind of propel themselves potentially into the top five conversation, top four conversation. But anyway, yeah. With, I think were you, I, just yeah, like, I, don't know, I think the only thing I think the, like the only not only thing but <laughs> um the biggest the biggest concern would just be some injuries um the depth of the team is not very good but they they don't play in any uh other European competition so that should be in theory a lot less of an issue for them. Definitely. That's a really good point. Um, it's not, I feel like Brighton are having the opposite problem, ironically, um, with, with all this, yeah. but we'll get to that in yeah. a second. Um, Rian, let's do a little bit of roundup um, around the Premier League. Um, where do you want to start? Because you put this part together specifically, and there's like <laughs> narratives all over the place that we could start with. I mean, we could start with Brighton because I just mentioned them, but we can go anywhere. Yeah, uh, why not? We'll, we'll start Brian. Like, good transition there. Okay. Um, so they they lost a city two one. Uh, the game itself, I, I'm not. I don't think it was a poor game necessarily from Brighton. Very similar um, in entertainment value to the to City's game against Arsenal the week before. Like very very low levels of chance creation on either side. Um, 15 total shots and each team ended with less than one XG. Like it was not, it was not, it was not entertaining. Um, like the city <laughs> got their two goals early, like, and, and Holland yeah. scored a very nice goal um, himself from outside the box, which he doesn't take a lot of shots from outside the box. Um, <laughs> no, but when so, he does, so he can hit one. them. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's shown us for sure. Um, but yeah, another, just another very, yeah, like I said, um, low chance creation game for city. And, um, it's a, a bit of a pattern that they, they've, it's a, it's a bit more like suffer ball, like watching them now, like four or five center backs on the pitch. Like, and then <laughs> we'll basically one player who actually is going to try to dribble past people is Jeremy Doku and he's really good at it. And I, so I hope he yeah. keeps doing it, <laughs> um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're a lot less fun to watch, we, but we've been over this before. They're a lot less fun to watch in terms of uh, attacking output, for sure. Um, I think for right now, we're not overly concerned about them, just because they are just such a talented team and will continue to be. Like, there they is can easily win the league being this boring. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, they, and they would be happy with it. Yeah. yeah. And, and that is, seems insane to say, because winning the Premier League is not easy. Like, let me clarify again. Winning the Premier League is not easy. <laughs> Making a team that is making it look easy does not mean it is. Um, the one thing that I think is going to be an interesting kind of, I guess, trend to watch for over the next couple of months is how this affects them in the Champions League. Because we saw them for long stretches, even their Champions League match today, where they were drawing with uh, young boys, right? That they were not able to effectively create anything very well. They eventually, um, you know, went on to win that game 3 1. But generally speaking like that was a bit of a difficult game for them they have the manchester derby coming up this weekend um they they're a little bit concerning on the attacking output side of things but if i'm a city fan the trend is not great but the output is still fine because if you as long as you have erling holland and julian alvarez you're probably still going to score at least two goals a game Probably and that's like in any, yeah, and, and, like, and that's that's what it comes down to, right? Yeah, um, so you don't need to worry as much, but in terms of a trend line, that is something to be concerned about. But, but we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Rian. When you lose two of your most creative players, one due to injury and one due to, to departure, you're gonna take an offensive output hit, like it's going to happen, it's to be expected. And quite honestly, I kind of think Pep expected it too. And so that's why you're seeing Doku got a lot of the ball against Brighton. Mm -hmm. And he was basically the only one going one-on-one -on -one with hysterically James Milner. Um, <laughs> and most of the time he's probably going to win those battles because that's what he did so well in Liga. So I, I, I think that's what Pep and City were kind of prepared for this season, to be honest. But it's not likely to affect them over the course of the season. But I think don't be surprised if, there are a couple results that do not go their way uh, in the second half of the season. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun case study, right? It's like if I have just like four world-class attackers and I have midfielders good enough for me to keep – for us to keep the ball like at a 70% clip. Like how many – like I don't really need to actually risk the ball that much, do I? Like, I don't need to be that risky. I have a guy who can dribble no. past anyone. I've got a guy who can – who is like a savant at, at like finishing, finding space to finish. Um, two. And then – yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you – yeah, you have, you have another guy – 
what are these video <laughs> effects that are Sorry, the, the video effects on Alias' uh, side is just killing me. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, and then in Alvarez, as you said, like I have another guy who is like amazing at, at like playing off another striker and is also an extremely good finisher himself. And if I bring back in my, um, I mean, then you have obviously like, Bowden, who will give you like 60% of what De Bruyne has. And if De Bruyne comes back and he's like 80% of what he normally is, like that's <laughs> this is like a great case study. If I just keep the ball and create four, four chances all game, like I'm probably, there's a decent chance we're scoring two of them. A hundred percent. That's, that's kind of the, the mantra this season. So that, then that's what they did against Brighton. I think they tried to do that against Arsenal, albeit unsuccessfully. Um, I I think it's only going to come back to bite them if they get to, let's say, the knockout rounds of the Champions League and they have one bad leg that sets them up terribly for the the flip side of that that tie. Yeah, like, yeah. This very much mire. feels like a, this very much feels like a strategy that, considering the players you have, could probably work. Like mm-hmm. over a full season, like thirty-eight games, but uh, in like a one-to-two game scenario, could definitely yeah. just get you knocked out of a of a cup competition. So, a hundred percent, which is ironically the opposite, I think, of how we felt about City in knockout uh, competition last season. And uh, they got knocked out in the in the uh, EFL Cup already, right? So, <laughs> yep, exactly, exactly. It's, so it's funny. Uh, fun stuff. Well, let's, Rian, let's go to the other side of Manchester because United, obviously the Manchester Derby is this weekend, um, which should be, I don't know what to make of that tie right now. We'll, we'll get back to that, but, um, United somehow beat Sheffield. Like, I don't really know. Is this like, was this real? Like, did, <laughs> did I really see Scott McTominay score two goals in injury time? Is that... Uh no no you're thinking of you're um oh my god you're thinking of Brentford. I thought that was this game. Oh, so, uh, oh my god, I, I made the, I made the joke the I made the joke in our in our um in our group chat <laughs> this week that every oh United game looks the same win loss or draw like they all they look the it's exact same true. every time. It's like yeah, well, very it's very um. <laughs> That's why. Yes, he did. He did score in this in this game against Sheffield United. And then Diego Dallas scored the game winner from like 25, 30 yards out, which yeah. sure, yeah. why not? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they're like they're like gonna find a way to somehow win these games when they are like very okay. Um they but then also like they'll lose the games. They'll lose the games. I mean like they lose the games where they look very okay, they draw the games where they look very okay too. So it's like I know. Um but this was the seventh time in, in their thirteen games they've played this season where the opposition has created a higher quality of chances. So just had more XG in the game. So um I don't even know. Like they're 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 fine. Um and they'll probably <laughs> hang around. Like they'll hang around that. I mean, they'll, they'll they'll maybe hang around that that um five to like fifth or sixth spot for a good chunk of the season. Um, but man, I'd be really surprised if they finish in the top five, honestly. But anyway. I kind of agree, and also I just I I came up with the title of the the episode, which is they're fine. Um, that that is exactly what sums up. 
United. <clears throat> I, I still maintain, outside of the uh, Jane Sancho situation, I don't think any of this really falls on Tenog. Like, I, I would be really hard-pressed to point my finger at him and say, you're the problem in all of this. I talked about the issues yeah. around United last week. Like, I, I'm not going to go <laughs> over it again. Yeah, definitely not. The, he's not the main problem. I, I think he, he, I think he plays a role in this for sure, but he's not the main problem. Every manager um, does, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, and I think I was, even on top of all this, like they're them being like very okay. I, I think Hoyland is really good. So I, I they, they've got, they've got a, a couple like shining lights to hold on to, and um, so like I said, they're fine. That's true. That's true. Well. With that, Rian, let's move on. Quick hits. Um, Newcastle beating Crystal Palace 3-0. They had a yeah. pretty rough start to the season, I think largely based on the teams that they were playing. But beyond that, they <laughs> they kind of just whooped PSG at home, and they've continued that run of form. Um, now, I actually need to double-check how they did against Dortmund today. I- yeah, I think they they, they, they lost. But today, beyond that, but you know, like, <laughs> but like, that, here, 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 I think that's a fine game to lose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I I think they very much would say I'm taking that PSG game to the bank. So, <laughs> like let, that aside, um, Newcastle have returned to to pretty good form in the Premier League. Now, in that Dortmund game today, Isak did go out early with an injury. Um, so curious how that kind of affects them going forward, but. What did you make about, or what did you make of Newcastle over the past weekend, and where do you kind of see them going? Yeah, I think it was just another really good performance. Like as you said, they've they've had I th- I can't remember where I saw it, but I think they've had the second or the or the toughest schedule um, this season so far, and them to get through that like start of the season, and I I, I don't know off the top of my head whether they're going to have another stretch like that later this season but to come through all of that um and like to this point like also beating up on the teams that are not at that level um they have the most goal scored in the league they have the best expected goal difference per game in the league and the highest expected goals per shot as well so like they're they're creating the chances that they create are like the highest quality like uh, of any team in the league so um I, i think they are still firmly probably like one of the four best teams, like four best performing teams. Even if you, if you, if you're not sure that talent wise, they're one of the four best teams, like they're performing at that level. So. No, I, I completely agree. Um, I don't think there's much else to be said about Newcastle other than I'm continually impressed with their ability to create, like you said, um, shot creating actions. I love Newcastle's midfield might be, <clears throat> excuse me one of my favorite midfields uh, in the Premier League right now. I I love how creative they are. I love the interchange with, um, it, depending on the day, Callum Wilson, uh, Isak. Like, I, I think the interlinking play is just phenomenal to watch. And I think it kind of just bewilders almost any team that they play. Um, so very excited to see how they continue. I don't know if they go on a, a really tough stretch, like you mentioned, uh, again, too, but... That aside, Newcastle are in great position. Another team in a great position, Rian, um, Aston Villa. 
kind of beating up on West Ham, two teams that, in my opinion, have the same logo. I, I don't see a difference. It's like Sheffield. <laughs> they, I think they are both this, like the same colors. It's like I think it's clear and same blue. Colors. Like, they, What's they, the difference? The same like, ones. Yeah, <laughs> I mean Burnley it's... also are clear and blue. So. Yeah, <laughs> like, but I at least know Burn- where they are. I, I I know Burnley yeah. know their their place in the table right now. I, it, the, <laughs> the Aston Villa West Ham piece they're they're relatively similar. Um, they've kind of been on a tear when it comes to goal scoring this season. I mean, I, yeah, I, it's not it's not. Look, I think defensively they have been solid, um, but the goal scoring to me is like the biggest stand out yeah um it, another four goals against west um in their game against west ham uh they scored 23 goals this season second to newcastle um funny enough and then it, it, they've been really really hot and efficient in their finishing um they're like around like six goals above their expected goals <laughs> like it's been uh really really impressive like really uh, impressive start to the season for Ollie Watkins, like adding on to like his very impressive end of last season, like second half of last season. So honestly, like that's, I think what's been carrying them a lot um, as well as, you know, they're getting goals from Diaby. who's again, just uh, unbelievable that, that they, they, they end up with, they have like a, a genuinely like world-class right winger. Um, and, I just think their attack's really good. Like, like the attack's been really good, and and the uh, seven possession is kind of as you'd expect from uh from Unai Emery side. And I think that they've really built on last season. Um, so yeah, all in all, very very impressive from Villa. I think having a winger like that is. We talked about this. I want to say at the very beginning of the season, um, that. <clears throat> can kind of make or break your just offensive output. Forget about like how many goals they land and all that, like just offensive output. I think you and I both pinpointed that piece to the Sasson Villa and Unai Emery puzzle as like one of the biggest hijacks <laughs> basically. And what I love about this is I kind of think back to how Unai Emery coached uh, Villarreal and I see a lot of similarities here. Uh, with Aston Villa and how he utilized um, not just Chukweze, but honestly, both both sets of wingers at Villarreal. Uh, it's very it's a very similar structure, and I'm not entirely surprised that it's yielding them, yielding them goals. I am surprised at the number and the teams that they are scoring against, but very much expect I would I would personally expect this sort of run of form to continue for sure. I'm not gonna put money on it, but you know that, that <laughs> I don't do that. So um, yeah, they're they're another team that you feel like should be around the top six. Yeah, race and, and agreed. Who knows? Like they they could. Would you be like that surprised if they do end up finishing fifth? Probably at this no. like at this point, probably not. Cause I do think that's a really good no. team there, and um, I think Doug Suiz has also been really good this season too. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I completely agree. Well. With that, Rian, um, I want to talk about my dark horse favorites, Liverpool. Um, Liverpool, once again, won the Merseyside Derby after what was a, a bit of a shaky first half um, until, you know, a certain someone decided to throw it back to the Chelsea days and 
get, I guess get a red card for, for old time's sake. I don't, I don't really know. Um, but what did you make of Liverpool? Are you talking about Ashley Young? Yeah. The, the the Man United, what I think I, is what you meant. What did I it's say? The Chelsea days. <laughs> oh my God. I, I was thinking Ashley Cole and looking at Oh, Ashley that's Young. so fair. Oh my, oh gosh, my God. Yeah, you know, oh. I'm not. I'm, <clears throat> don't worry. I'm not holding that one into Yeah, that's, that was. Mm. That's more than fair. Okay, let's <laughs> let's scratch that for a second. Pretend that didn't happen. Um, <laughs> what did you what did you make of of Liverpool in this game? Because, like I said, I do think it was a shaky first half for them. Uh, mm-hmm. I do think that the red card changed everything. <laughs> like, let's not sugarcoat it. Um, but at the same time, what I I'll just share this. I think what I was most impressed with Liverpool in, in this capacity was their ability to find spaces uh, in the half space specifically because. I would say Luis Diaz did a phenomenal job with his one-on-ones. Salah, always going to find space outright or in the middle when he comes inside. But the half spaces are really where I think uh, Liverpool like kind of shined in this game, especially between the interchange between Trent and whoever was underlapping. And Everton, I felt like, couldn't really keep up with or figure out like the ISO that Liverpool were running on this right-hand side half the time. Um, and I thought that was kind of the key to, to unlock bits and pieces of this, um, of this game. But you, are you shaking your head at me? Is that what you're doing? You're disagreeing? No, no, not at all. No, oh, like, okay. I, um, <laughs> no, I, I, I just find it like, it's been really funny. Like Liverpool season, they've played like, this is at least the third game that has not finished 11 v 11. So like, that's, <laughs> I've just been like also kind of thinking about that. They're not playing normal games right now. And, and funny enough, like, you know, they're in their games against 10 men or they've had games where they haven't looked good against, <laughs> against the 10 men, uh, but also haven't, and have looked really good for like 10 v 11, if that makes sense. So yeah. 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 <laughs> but sorry. No, they, they, they were, they were great. Um, again, their attack is still like the thing that drives this team forward. Um, and Sala has been about as good as any other player this season as well. But um, for the Everton side, I hope that they do not get too discouraged from this game. Cause like, as you said, like that's, just uh, Ashley Young is, is probably going to do that again at least once more. Maybe not red, but like get a, get a red. Yeah, but like yeah, yeah. you know, um, he's going to get beat like that for sure. Like uh, um, yeah. other times this season, that's just what's going to come with the territory. hundred percent. They've been good yeah. again out this season outside of it, outside of it. Yeah. Well, look. All I'm saying is once again, Liverpool sit in uh, in fourth spot, two points off of Spurs right now. I'm just. I'm just throwing that out there. It's a tight, tight little race at the top, you know, for my Premier League favorites. Um, just throwing that out there. Anyway, um, Rihanna, just really quickly, want to touch on the the relegation and battle teams as well. Bournemouth, Andoni Raiola. I don't know what's going on, man. You did such a good job at Rio. And I mean, okay, that's a bit of a stretch. Such a good job is a bit of a stretch. Um, did an, a good job for what position he was in in Spain. Um, it is not working out for you in the south of England, my friend. 
It is. It is not. And to be honest, I don't know the answer to this. I genuinely do not know what's gone wrong. Is it the accent? Is it the coaching staff? Is it the players? I, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm lost. If you could help me figure out not how Wolves beat them, but what is going wrong for that team, that would be great. As much as I would love to pin it all on <laughs> Tyler Adams' hamstrings being made of like string cheese, it's <laughs> it, this team is just like like historically bad. Like like really like they're not the only ones. Like all three of the mm-hmm. teams in 18th, 19th, and 20th in the Premier League, like anyone probably bottom of the league in any other season and you have three teams like that right now yeah. so you add in on top of that the like um that Luton and Fulham although like their their points level is not too concerning yet but like a couple other teams at least that are playing at like relegation level <laughs> in terms of underlying metrics but um Bournemouth is just one of them they're not they do not look a primarily quality team they they looked like just about one last season, like kind of barely one. Um, and, and, you know, like who knows, arguably you could say they didn't quite look like one last season either, but um, were like coached very well in the second half of the season and um, picked up some very important results. They are not getting any of that. They aren't getting any luck, and they haven't really earned any luck in terms of like how they've played in the games too. So that's um, I like the way you phrase that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So yeah, not extremely surprised that Wolves, who have a I think a much better team, like more talented team, <laughs> were able to win that game. Um, it, it was just very hilarious that Gary O'Neill, who's the um, manager for Wolves now, like former and sacked by. Current, current mayor. <laughs> current, no, no, no. Current as a former and current, current. Former and current. Gary, no- Gary O'Neill. Oh yeah, yes, yes, yes. These are his former and current teams for sure. Yeah, <laughs> like like he <laughs> he was sacked in the summer after keeping Bournemouth up. So it's just very funny um, that he did that. You know, they won that game. Like played much better than Bournemouth. Um, and then you saw him on Monday. He was on like Sky Sports Monday Night Football talking about like. <laughs> how they beat uh Bournemouth. Uh, like it's something they worked on before the game against Bournemouth. So really funny flex uh, of, of he probably won't admit it, but probably was a pretty funny moment. Yeah. I mean it's it's also stuff that most teams do. So I, I, I saw that it, it's cool to hear for us, but the the, the flex is not I think what he meant in terms of like the context of all the other teams in the league. But Anyway, I, I hope it helps. Yeah, I yeah. It's more, the the situation is what made it funny. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's just outrageous. Uh, anyway, Rian, last results uh, from around the league. Are, Burnley are in trouble, right? Like, this isn't necessarily, um, you know, a Vincent Company issue, but it's just Burnley as a team are not, are just not it. Right? I, I don't think there's, Excuse me, much more to say. Brentford are very good. Burnley are not. <laughs> I, d- yeah. yeah. They look overmatched. Like, they look overmatched. What else? <laughs> they look like just cool. like our. Glad we said like, on that. <laughs> just yeah, yeah. They just don't they just don't look the level 
<laughs> like I said, let me just say like Bournemouth yeah. barely looked yeah. the level last season or like, you know, just about. Uh, and then you have Luton yeah. who also don't quite look the level either, but we are no, they're, they're they're out of the relegation zone right now. Yeah. Yeah. They're out of the relegation zone. Like they're, they're picking up a couple points here and there. Um, so yeah, uh, it's it, I, the bottom of the league's really bad. <laughs> it's like the last, the really bottom bad. like seven teams are pretty, or, compared to last season at least, like it's a drop off, a big drop off. Compared or not, they are very bad. I mean, I think it's like 1.4 and 5 or something like that as the relegation now. Sheffield have the opportunity to actually break the record for lowest points uh, in the Premier League um, again. Like, uh, we saw that happen how many years ago? It wasn't that long ago. Four? I think that the last time they were up, they came really close to it. They were really yeah. close. <laughs> no, I thought, it, I, thought it was, I thought it was actually, um, what's it called? Broken. Never mind. Um, no, no, yeah. they they were under it for a lot of the season, uh, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that sounds like it's going to be the same thing all over again. Unfortunately, I don't see a, a way outside of that. Um, I believe I'm just checking. Yes, eleven points for Derby County, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, um, was the the lowest. So Sheffield, you have the opportunity to do the funniest thing. Have at it. <laughs> Uh, anyway. Oh man, I, yeah. Like any one of those teams in the bottom, honestly, I think could, could challenge yeah. it. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Well, with that, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up this week's episode. We didn't get a chance to get some of the stuff in Spain. Oh, yeah, Elias, uh, wait, no, no, wait. This weekend, what? Yeah, I was gonna say you don't want to give us. You don't want to give us like a just like a little preview for for El Clasico. Oh my god! I, I honestly the injury. I like I don't, to... I don't know the full extent of the injury situation in at Barcelona, so so I don't know what to expect on the lineups. But and you don't have to go <laughs> to that. But <laughs> no, we're gonna we're gonna play we're gonna play a, a, a average team age of of seventeen and a half in in this Clasico. <laughs> um, I have absolutely no idea who half these players are going to be. Um, no, I, I was almost purposely trying to avoid the El Clasico conversation just because of it's making me stressed the more I think about it. But honestly, this game is uh, in Barcelona. Um, I would not be surprised to see a solid 2-2 draw. I think that's where this game is headed because Barcelona are going to be depleted, even though I think they will get at least one in major player back from injury, whether it's Lewandowski um, Petri or Rafinha, I'm not sure. Um, but even in their Champions League game today against Shakhtar, which they won 2-1, um, Zhao Felix went off with a, a knock, but he should be good. Like, we're talking about Frankie, Rafinha, Pedri, Lewandowski, Kunde, all starters, all phenomenal players, all injured. So you had a front three of Zhao Felix, Ferran Torres, and Lamine Yamal combined with Fermin Lopez in midfield, who's also a teenager. I saw, I swear, two other teenagers come on that I did not know. And it scares me. It, it, we have an injury problem. Like, that. that is true. Meanwhile, Real Madrid have their long-term injuries, as we know. Um, but generally speaking, they're relatively healthy. But they are a thinner squad. I think this is going to be a 2-2 draw, Rian, just because I don't see one aspect of the field that either can solely dominate right now. Barcelona, because of injuries, I think are hampered. And Real Madrid, outside of Jude turning into prime Cristiano Ronaldo, 
potential, like he very well might. Araujo and Rodrigo can either A, make things happen completely on their own right now based on their form, um, and B, I do believe that Barcelona's midfield is better than Real Madrid's. And that makes me think that we will have a majority of the ball. I think we will limit their chances, but I also think we're going to do something pretty fucking stupid because we're playing <laughs> teenagers. So it, like yeah. it's, it's bound to happen. So anyway, that's my thoughts. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it no matter what. Um, I'm really interested to see what the midfield looks like considering those, um, <laughs> considering those injuries. So yeah, it's just it's going to be people you don't recognize. Just be, be prepared for that and everything will be fine. So, yeah, <laughs> that's all. But anyway, okay, now I will wrap it up and then we will talk much more about the Classico next weekend or next week because I will have a full chance to digest it. With that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you as always for listening. We'll be back next week and I'm sure we'll be talking about how City just ran over parts of United and hopefully we'll be doing oh, the same now it's not going to happen. <laughs> I know, I know. I know it's not. Hopefully we'll be doing the same with Barcelona against Real Madrid though, but all right, we'll leave it there. Thank you as always. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks guys.